Today's reading is taken from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 13. Uh, if you are using the Church Bible, this is page 950. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ali. If you can keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 6, that would be great. Um, because although uh, the reading has been pretty short, we will actually go back to other parts of Ephesians. Because Ephesians has a lot to say about spiritual battle. But let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you for your living word, and we pray now that you would send your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Give us hearts that would receive your word and plant it deeply. And we pray that you would then grow this word, um, that we might be, um, we might, our lives might be changed, and we might bear fruit for your namesake. Amen. I had a friend who was a CIA agent. I know that he was brilliant and he spoke French. He was like third degree black belt or something. Um, and I, I knew that he was sta stationed in Switzerland at some point in his life. And I know him well because he was one of my roommates in the divinity school, at the divinity school. Um, and it made me think, actually, how many of people out there, right, are like him? People who look normal, who sort of sound normal, but actually knows of a world that I know nothing about. People who live a different life, who have lived a different life. And that's the thing with the world, isn't it? There's more to the world than meets the eye. There are layers to it, whether that's a layer of sort of espionage or there is cyber warfare going on all the time and this air is filled with waves, right? Wife that makes Wi-Fi work and Bluetooth work. I don't know how they work, but they, 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 they work and they're there. And the Bible tells us that there is a hidden and invisible war raging in this world. And some people call us naive because we believe in this spiritual world, in the devil and angels and Satan and God himself. But the Bible would say it's the other way around. If you think that this world is all there is, what meets the eye is all there is, then you are naive. Some of you come from parts of the world that takes the spiritual warfare seriously. Parts of Africa and parts of Asia takes this very seriously. Some of you have had experience with some demonic powers or spiritual forces. But whether you had, have had experience or not, the Bible tells us this world, uh, this spiritual warfare is real. You are naive if you believe that what you see is all there is. Look at what Paul says in verse 12. It can't be clearer. Right? Verse 12, for our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
there are spiritual beings. There is a heavenly realm. In today's world, um, today's lingo would be more spiritual realm. Right? When, when the Bible says heavenly realm, it's the spiritual realm. And in this letter, in the letter to Ephesians, Paul talked about it again and again. And we often, when we read the Bible, we gloss over these parts because we're not familiar with this language. We're not familiar with this concept. We don't think about it. But it's there. It was there throughout the letter. So if you have your Bibles open, please turn to um, chapter 1, verse 20. Take a look. Chapter 1, verse 20, on page 947 in the Church Bibles. Chapter 1, verse 20. Paul writes there that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God has raised Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms, not over just earthly things, but over the heavenly beings, over spiritual beings, over rulers and powers and dominions of this age. Turn to chapter 2, verse 2 same page. See how Paul describes a life before we became Christians, how we followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He told us whether knowingly or not, before we became Christians, we followed the rulers of this world, the spiritual beings that is in power over this world. Turn to chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This is slightly hard to understand, but think about it. What Paul is saying is that God has made the, the, the church in order to declare his victory over, uh, the, the world, over spiritual beings to the spiritual uh, beings. Right? His intent was now through the church, manifold wisdom of God should be made known. You see, what he's saying is that wisdom of God is revealed not just to the world out there, but to Satan, to evil spiritual beings all over the world because the church is a continual reminder to them that he has lost, that he has been defeated. Our existence is a declaration to the spiritual world that God has won in Jesus Christ because we exist. The church exists. You see, Paul's not just concerned about the earthly things. He has this in mind, the spiritual world in mind. He has the biblical worldview in mind and that one that says actually there are spiritual beings at war against us, against God. And it's not just Paul. Uh, the Bible talks about spiritual world constantly. It's, in, it's there in the opening pages of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, 15, when God curses this snake, which stands for Satan, right? He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This prophecy was about how Jesus will, Jesus will crush Satan's head while getting injured at his foot. And there are other um, uh, uh, mentions. Obviously, Jesus interacts with Satan and spiritual beings all the time. Remember what happens to, uh, to these people who are possessed. Do you remember what happens? Jesus comes and they retreat. They fall down at his feet. Uh, they're casted out. Satan tempts Jesus in the desert for 40 days. 
promising him the world as the prince of this world. When Peter rebukes Jesus in Mark chapter 8, trying to prevent him from going to the cross, remember what Jesus calls Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. When Judas betrays Jesus in John chapter 13, it's recorded that Judas is prompted by the devil. Jesus knows that what meets the eye is not the all there is. There are layers to it. There are complexities in this world. He rightly sees Satan at work against him and against his work. I've heard missionaries who came back from trips to places like North Korea or uh, Indonesia or, or, I don't know, parts of Thailand and, and, and describe that, that, uh, the place as um, feeling sort of oppressive, spiritually oppressive. Well, many parts of these, uh, the, the world, idolatry is very obvious. Idols surround these places. But we don't often think of Hong Kong in this way, do we? Don't be naive. Just because we're surrounded by tall buildings, just because we're surrounded by technology and other signs of modernity, it doesn't mean that Satan is not at work here. He certainly is. If you were the devil, I thought about trying to put on the mind of the devil. (laughs) If you were the devil, wouldn't you want to create a culture that's so materialistic that your identity and your sense of security is based on sort of size of your flat or size of your bank account? Wouldn't you want to create an oppressive work culture so that it's hard hard for you to spend time with your family? And you're always too tired to go to a links group, a small group meeting or a prayer meeting to meet up with a Christian. Wouldn't you want to create a culture that's so consumeristic that your primary concern is your comfort, your happiness, and your health, even as you come to church, to worship God, to lose yourself in something greater than yourself. Wouldn't you want to do that? I would if I were the devil. Of course, I'm not trying to blame Satan for everything or get you to be obsessed with it. We have to avoid the danger of both extremes. C.S. Lewis wrote in this famous book, Screw Tape Letter, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So on the one side, there are people who say there is no devil. There is no such thing. On the other side, people who are obsessive about it, just constantly think about it, and they think that everything is about the devil. Well, these two extremes we must avoid. Martin Luther said something very similar. He said that Christians are always, um, uh, Christians are like a drunk drunk person trying to, uh, who fell off um, the horse on one side. He falls off the horse on one side, he tries to get back on the horse to fall on the other side. We must um, avoid both of these extremes But having said that, we must still know that Satan is at work. We can't be naive. And we must wrestle against him. And what does this spiritual battle then look like? Some people talk about territorial spirits and going on sort of uh, these prayer walks to claim an area for Christ. Many often think of driving out demons uh, and demon-possessed. Um, We think of people running, uh, sort of uh, turning and foaming at the mouth. But that's not how ordinary spiritual warfare looks like. 
Think about the context of this book, the book of Ephesians, where Paul warns that there is a spiritual warfare. He talked about many other things, didn't he? If you know this book, it comes at the end of a long letter where he talks about many things. Think about what he talked about. He talked about salvation through grace alone, through Jesus Christ, how Jews and the Gentiles are now united as one human race, one new race, that there should be no division in the church. Paul addressed how we're given spiritual gifts to build one another up in the church. He then exhorted us to put, on our old, put off our old selves and put on new selves in Christ, to live as children of light. He addressed the husbands and wives and parents and children and also workers and slaves, I mean slaves and, the, and their bosses, masters. Then he wrote, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God for our battle, right? You see what he's saying? The battlefield of spiritual warfare is not out there in some exotic locations in exotic way. It's not fought in Sri Lanka. It's up close and personal. The word for struggle in verse 12 is also wrestle. I know that it's hard to believe, but I used to wrestle in high school. But I, I can tell you that wrestling is one of the hardest sports because you use every part of your body, neck and every part of your body. It's all there. It's up close and personal. It's really tiring. And in the same way, this war is fought up close and personal. It's fought in our minds. It's fought in our emotions, in our hearts. It's fought with our body. It's fought uh, in the, our workplaces, in our homes, in our churches. Spiritual battle is uh, being waged in all these different areas right now. The devil is trying constantly to try to introduce disunity within the church by flaring up people's pride, introducing false teaching, the evil ones trying to prevent us from speaking, in speaking God's truth in love to each other, to take things out of context, to flare up old hurts, even one is trying to prohibit us from using our spiritual gifts. He's trying to introduce dissension in our homes, in our workplaces, between husband and wives, children and parents, bosses and workers. See, our ordinary lives are the battlefield where spiritual warfare is being waged. And Paul gives us an example, a concrete example of this in this letter. So if you have your Bibles open, turn to chapter 4, verse 26, on page 948. Chapter 4, verse 26. Look how ordinary this spiritual warfare looks like. He writes, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. How many times have you gotten angry this past week? Have you thought about your anger as a foothold for the devil? Your emotions as a place where devil can come in and work and get you to sin more? The word translated as foothold is just literally just space. Don't give that space to the devil. Your ordinary emotions, anger, even your righteous anger might actually get you to sin if used in the bad way. And I'm sure you've, you've had experiences many times in your mind where you went, it's weird that this is happening. When there you, you thought, there's, there's got to be something more to what's going on 
here. While leading this church, there are times when I think, I'm not sure what's happening. Why is this happening? Uh, why is there such miscommunication? Why is everything being misinterpreted or taken in the worst possible way? I get frustrated until I think, of course it's happening. There's a war going on. Maybe you have come from a weekend away and, and convicted in the, by the grace of Christ, but as, you, as soon as you get back home, um, you, you talk to your parents or your spouse or your children, and they say something that just makes you really mad. Your anger flares up. Of course that happens. There's a war going on, right? How about the dread that you feel before going to your links groups? Maybe you feel like they're coming uh, to prayer meetings, before meeting, coming to church maybe even. Maybe you have your worst fights on Sunday morning just before you come to church. Of course that happens. There is a war going on. And we mustn't fight these spiritual battles with ordinary weapons. It's like fighting a gun battle with Kung Fu. No matter how skilled you are, you're going to lose. Have you seen that uh, Indiana Jones, the third one, where the guy does all the things and then he takes out a gun and just shoots him? It's going to be like that, <laughs> right? You lose. Sometimes we think, if I just get a little bit more organized, if I just uh, communicate a bit better, well, this won't happen anymore. And then we forget to depend on God. I instead, of, instead of committing ourselves to prayers, we make more committees. Instead of co concentrating on method, uh, uh, um, sorry, uh, we concentrate on methodology, how to do things better, rather than depending on God and uh, focusing on our spirituality, on how, what, what's happening with ourselves. You know, spiritual warfare must be fought with spiritual weapons which is what we will be talking about in the next few weeks together. And the key to this warfare is simple. It's knowing that you will not be able to win by yourself. You cannot, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no, no matter how experienced you are, in and of ourselves, we're not fit to win this battle. We do not have the strength or the skills to oppose Satan. So Paul warns in our reading, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. And it's a different kind of fight. We're soldiers who go to Jesus constantly for his power to be strong in him. Remember Christ's words in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And here's the thing. When we go to Jesus, when we put on his strength, we have nothing to fear because the outcome is clear. Once again, do you remember how the demon-possessed react to Jesus when they encounter him? They come from far away. They run up to Jesus and fall down at his feet and go, please don't hurt me. Why have you come? Have you come to hurt us? They don't try to put up, put up a fight because they know this is not an, a battle between two equal powers. They know that they're going to lose. They're no match for him. But more importantly, we're told that the conquest of the devil has been achieved already. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 15, 
He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here in this passage, he combines what we normally think is achieved on the cross, forgiveness of sins. Right? Our debt is canceled there, but he also combines that with victory over the evil one. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. So how has he done it on the cross? How he, has he made a public spectacle of the evil one on the cross? How did he do it? Well, the cross is the place of the ultimate judo move, right? I'm told, uh, um, I'm, I'm told that in judo, the, the way that you win is to use all the opponent's strength and momentum and power against them. Right? As they lunge towards you, you're to take that and flip them over. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. The prince of this world schemed to bring Jesus to the cross. But instead of, uh, of the cross stand as a symbol of violence, symbol of hatred and evil and sin and death, Jesus turned it completely around. By on the cross, he forgave our sins. He made it a place of his glory where he says, all who come to me will be freed from your death. All who come to me will be loved and forgiven. All who will come to me will have freedom and have everlasting life. He made the cross the place of his glory, symbol of his love. And now he sits on high at the right hand of God, already victorious. God raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God. Once again, please turn one more time to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. Ephesians 1, verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is, bo which is his body. Did you hear that? God placed all things under his feet. For whom? For the church. Everything is under Christ's feet, which means that they're under our feet as well. We do not need to fear the evil one. For Christ stands victorious. He has lost. He's been defeated. The victory is won. Of course, that doesn't mean that the devil has given up. In John Stott's words, although the devil is overthrown, he's not completely eliminated. Although he's been defeated, he has not yet conceded his defeat. In World War II, some of the biggest battles were fought after the D-Day, after the outcome of the war has already been decided. Hitler knew that he was going to lose, but it, 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 he didn't stop fighting. Some of the fiercest battles happened after the course of the war had been determined. A chained lion is still a lion. He still prowls and he still roars. But we don't have anything to fear. If we're in Christ, we are strong in his mighty power. If we put on the full armor of God, we don't need to give an inch to the evil one. We can stand 
farm. But having said that, once again, let's go back. Friends, don't be naive. Don't be naive. What's going on today in this church? The conversations that you have, the relationships that you foster here, what happens in between, right? Um, when you meet your colleagues to share the gospel uh, of, of Christ, when you meet one-to-one and to read the Bible with another person in the church or others, when you read nighttime stories to your children and try to disciple your children, there's more to it than meets the eye. Things are going to go wrong because the devil is at work. That's what happens in a war. But we do not need to feel frustrated. When you sense the evil one at work, don't fear. Go to Christ. Put on the full armor of God and stand firm. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we have been too naive. We have relied on our own strength, on methodologies and committees and our organization skills to fight your battle, fight spiritual battles. Lord, open our eyes to see the, uh, not just you at work or about us, but also the evil one at work about us. And Lord, help us to be equipped. Help us to fight these spiritual battles, not with our own strength, not with our own methods, but um, with the spiritual power that you give us as we turn to Christ. And Lord, help our church, Shatin Church, and all the members of the church. Um, would you equip us with full armor of God that we might not give an inch to the evil one, that we might stand firm until the day of your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.